0: I can make it real clear. We're not a separatist party. I'm not interested in separation, period. Um, If that is, in fact, your only goal, then the Alberta party isn't for you.
1: Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash ForgottenCornerPod, or visit our website, ForgottenCornerPod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. We acknowledge that the Forgotten Corner occupies unceded Indigenous land. We acknowledge that the Blackfoot Confederacy never surrendered its land in the signing of Treaty 7, but agreed to share it. The Forgotten Corner sits on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Siksika, Kyanai, Pakani, Stony Nakoda and Sutina, as well as the Cree, Sioux, and the Soto bands of the Ojibwa peoples. We also honour and acknowledge that we are on the Métis Nation within Region 3 the forgotten corner is a proud member of the harbinger media network and if you'd like to check out other progressive progressive podcasts like this one click the link we provide in our show notes at the end of last week's folks we left you on a little bit of a cliffhanger from the part one of our interview with alberta party leader Barry Morishita, so let us not hold you back and we'll get you right into part two. Sands my co-host Jeremy Opel, who I hope is not still at the Jays game um, a week later, but nonetheless, uh, I hope you guys enjoy. My pushback on that, I guess, would be that uh, we, we went out of our way uh, after the boom in 96 to pay off debt. Natural gas actually did that, not oil, uh, yeah. but we our revenues paid off our debt. A lot of people, including myself, would argue that going that two decades later, being forced to play catch up with infrastructure, play catch up with education, play catch up with healthcare, forced us into debt again anyway. That balancing the yep. budget just created deficits of not money, but deficits of service, deficits of infrastructure, deficits of, of necessity that we had yep. to deal with two decades down the road. How do you balance doing that while balancing a budget?
0: So, you know, it, 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 it will it'll take some time. But first of all, at the very at the very basic piece, your operational costs have to be paid for by people who get the operations for them. So our population has to we have to come to a meeting that says, you know, these are the, this. is the level of services you want. Then this is the level of taxation you have to pay. Um, you know, and, and we can. Um, there's a million ways you can work your way into that, so that you're not reliant on the windfall revenue. But um, we have to come to that point without it. The windfall revenue uh, should serve another purpose, um, and uh, we've we've got to get to that point where you and I. Are paying for the services that you and I want for our ourselves, our families, our neighbors, our friends, our kids, our grandkids, whatever they are. Um, That's just the way it is. There are there is a a a way. There's a lot of ways to get there. Um, It's not all about revenue. um, It's not all about expenses. And we keep talking about that in those terms. And sure, that's the political discourse we have. Well, you're talking about raising taxes. Um, Yes, potentially I am, because we've got to pay for what we got. And I'm willing to stand up and say that and admit that, hey, you know what? Yes, I'm talking about that we might have to collect more taxation in order to pay for the services you get. But I'm also saying that we can't continue to do the things we do the same way over and over again (laughs) and not allow people to do better jobs. I look at uh, the centralization of, of EMS as a good example. I w- I've been on council for 16 years total. I was there when they consolidated. I was there when they took all the ambulances away, and um, everybody. I've seen the paper exercise, and it works great, except guess who gets left behind? People get left behind in the consolidation of this service, and we have to come to realize that there are better ways to do the job, and and that there are other resources available to us, municipalities, and uh, these communities always rise up they always contribute when the service is theirs when they are part of it and they see what value it has but when you take it away from them and you tell them this is what you get now we all stand back and get to be critical and say well it doesn't work it doesn't work and when it doesn't work though we got to fix it and uh, the the government uh, when it comes to investments in communities and things only knows one way Here's your check be happy with what you got or here's your solution be happy with what your solution is We're leaving all of those people behind and so it, it's it's not a. It's not a one way or another, which is what we've got into this mess in the beginning it's that we've got to trust people to be part of the process work together to fix these problems in the unique ways that uh, that only Alberta communities can and uh, and be willing to go down that road because. Flipping back and forth isn't serving us well right now.
1: I I read a a little bit about the, uh, I guess, the proposed idea of how a sales tax might work uh, with the Alberta party. Um, I thought it was intriguing, I guess, is the best word I can use to describe when I saw that it might be offset with lower income taxes for lower brackets of like, we're let's be specific, we're hopefully not talking about giving tax breaks to rich people. We're talking about making it easier on on lower income people, which I think uh, might offset some of the issues with how sales tax affects poor people. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I got to the part where it said that all, all that money would go against paying down the debt. And I'm just wondering what's the difference then and how is it that we are going to do all of this not really. Like, where does the revenue come f- to pay for the uh services? Then
0: yeah. So so the uh, so the exploration that we want to do in terms of what what a, a a consumption tax or harmonized sales tax or whatever would be. Is it is easier to control the effects on low income? So, you know, if you pay zero, um, uh, so you know you got to move the threshold for paying income tax a lot higher, so you don't pay any income tax, but But you are paying, like you said, uh, you know, on some basic things that were things we'd call basic, at least that are applicable where the tax is applicable, you know, you'd have to apply credits or give out credits. So it's easier to do based on income threshold. When it comes to whether you'd have enough money, um, so you've got to set the rate, obviously, to because it's across the board, you'd hopefully be able to do that um and i and i've and i've seen some studies on it in terms of what revenue numbers come out of us of an hst or whatever that will allow us um, to give those breaks for people who are most in need of them uh you know because the cost of living and making sure that they're they're making some progress uh you can give those breaks and still net revenue up and for a couple of reasons you do because like i said before there's a large portion of people in Alberta who aren't paying any tax at all of any kind to be here um, as regular workers and then of course we have the visitor economy which um, which 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 you don't receive a lot we receive no money from as well so so there's that the other thing about that is is that we you know um, when people aren't paying uh, particularly when you look at things like um, Small businesses, when they're not paying, uh, when they're paying less on that side because their exemptions or whatever go up, they tend. Small companies tend to do invest in their communities or spend in their communities. So we and we we've seen we we see that possibility. Um, the other thing is is that when it comes to the windfall revenues, we've said that fifty percent of the benefit should benefit today and then 50% should benefit forward by saving it and, and setting it up so that it, it provides an opportunity for us. So, you know, I, I, I'm not an economist in the classic sense that I understand all the details, but, but I can tell you that I think the, the essence of it is is that if we can some, um, make that transition uh, from, an e- from uh, these more static taxes like property and, and income, uh, particularly for people who are, who are struggling, I think the sales tax system or the HST system will, will benefit them in the long run. Over time, as the economy grows, you will get that growth because um, you're not you're not taxing a static, particularly property. For instance, you know you're taxing a static thing. Whereas when you tax activity, the busier you are, the more money you get. The less busy you are, the less money you get. But that should be relative to what it cost to operate the province. So. Um, Uh, It it seems to work uh, in a lot of jurisdictions and um, I think it's a a conversation that Alberta needs to have.
1: I mean we have said this on the show several times like it's certainly sales tax is a conversation we ought to start having with some reasonability as opposed to this like it's so evil thing. Um, We're very I mean Alberta we've gone over it. Alberta is the lowest tax jurisdiction in the country. It can be set up in a way that that doesn't hit Put people that don't need more taxes added on, you know, these kinds of things. Now, I want to move forward because this is the Forgotten Corner. We run the show at a Medicine Hat. You are running in the Brooks Medicine Hat riding, which... Makes a lot of sense. Um, But it also means you'll be up against incumbent UCP Emily Michaela Fry. Now, I imagine you're feeling confident about your vote count in Brooks, uh, being uh, born and raised and well known, and probably knowing most of the 15,000 people that live there. Um, Can you talk to my Wet Medicine Hat listeners and and a little bit about what your plans are over the next year for uh, winning them over and uh, earning their uh, trust and possibly their vote?
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to spend a lot of time in Medicine Hat, actually, and even starting the upcoming week here. I know we we have a trade show, and uh, we're going to do some door knocking and some door-to-door work over the next week. And we'll be there regularly all the way through. Uh, we got about 13 and a half months to go. So, yeah, we'll be spending a lot of time finding out um, what, what people in Medicine Hat, uh, what they're looking for, what issues they have, the challenges that we need to work with. And, I, I, you know, I think, it again, it, it's the way I've always done it, um, my time at President of AUMA, I recognize that while Medicine Hat and Brooks are an hour apart, and and we're in the southeast corner of the province, we, we share a few challenges, we share um, a few advantages, but we also have some very unique challenges. And uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time in Medicine Hat learning what, what's going on there. Um, the, the, this is a it's 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 going to it is a challenge to get the seat for sure um traditionally how it's voted and um but uh i feel confident that uh you know we're gonna we're gonna put in the hard work it takes to get elected because that's what it is it's hard work
1: i mean it feels actually just from the outside like if it becomes a three horse race it can be uh, very possible for anyone to win but that kind of leads me to my next question is like, I don't know actually who they've picked specifically, but a little birdie does tell me that the NDP is pretty excited about their candidate in Brooks Medicine Hat, and uh, they're gonna give it its all, their all, right? And now that might sound weird to some people because uh, why wouldn't you try in every riding, but typically in Medicine Hat, federally and provisionally, uh, it's been so conservative for so long that uh, yeah. oftentimes opposition parties don't try very hard at all. Um, I am told that that's not gonna be the case this time. And from my own personal guess, I think you're the reason why. I think. How do you get your message out and run the campaign you want to run without becoming a vote-splitting tool for the NDP or anyone else?
0: Yeah, well, uh, that's uh, I get you get faced that question pretty regularly, Scott. Too so. sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, and, and that's all right because and, and we've been accused. We we you know I've I've had people. That our ucp supporters say well you can't you know you're just you're just splitting the vote and letting the ndp run i've also had the opposite uh, said to me well you're going to pull votes away from us and that's going to allow the ucp to win and uh you know what uh that might be the case in some writings for sure but at the end of the day we're gonna we're offering some people something to vote for we don't want you to vote against the ucp we don't want you to vote against the ndp Uh, what we what we do want you to do is vote for something and if you're voting for the ndp for various reasons various reasons great i'm i'm good at that and the same with the ucp what i what what i've been trying to get people to think about is that you know it seems enough of you don't want this to happen so i'm asking you what you want to happen what would you like to see what's ideal for you yeah you don't want this so what do you want and more often than not they, they they settle on some values that align with us really well they they're tired of the bickering they don't want to see Bill one become a a, a bill that takes us back four or eight years, whatever the case may be. Um, so that's what we're you know that's what we're telling people we We know what we don't want. I know what I don't want either, but I still want to vote for something. I want to find something out there that can. That can make progress on some of those issues that are important to me and so that's what we're offering up and uh yes you know if there's three three strong candidates in a riding there there's going to be a three-way race and um the winner's gonna the winner's gonna win and the second place and the third place first are going to go if only that's how politics works and um but i'm going to be campaigning on something positive that's for sure
1: So now here it goes. Here we come to the lightning round. This is our listener questions. Um, I'm going to read them off my phone. So I apologize to everyone as I try to find them each individually. The first one I want to ask, just because we're on, we just got off the topic was um, somebody wanted to know, A, are you running 87 candidates? And B, are you you in Cypress Medicine Hat? And do you know who that's going to be?
0: So, uh, yeah, our attention is to run 87, and I don't think that's a problem. We've had tremendous interest. And actually, in Cyprus Medicine I've I've had two or three people are thinking about running there. So uh, we'll definitely have a candidate in that area for sure.
1: Perfect. Okay, here we go. The Alberta plan, Alberta Party's plan to assist with affordable housing. Now, it's a broad question, but uh, what are your thoughts?
0: So, uh, so again, I, I you know, I think it has to be a collaborative effort, like truly a collaborative effort. Um, between provincial, federal, and, and municipal. I think that's because those uh, solutions aren't the same. So uh, I think one of the things that I would love to see, um, we spend a tremendous amount on on healthcare in Alberta, and I would love to see a portion of that budget, a small, maybe 1% or something, go towards preventative measures that... that, that uh, uh, you know, we know not even anecdotally save money in the acute care system. So homelessness could be part of that. Again, that talks about reprioritizing our spending. And I think that's something we'd want to do. And those things that mitigate costs would be a high priority for the Alberta party, including homelessness, poverty reduction, those kinds of
1: things. Do you, do you know much about the Medicine Hats Housing First program? Uh, and, yeah, and what are yeah. your thoughts on that?
0: I, I think home security, uh, I, I've been to a number of sessions and, and Medicine Hats a good example of it where we know that um uh you know shelter security home security a place to live really is the foundational piece for getting uh, other things going um it's so, also yeah. really
1: fiscally cheap
0: yes yeah no i, I mean it saves like,
1: money like it's if totally you want to do it that yeah. way it it, yeah. it does everything you need it ticks all the boxes
0: yeah no absolutely i think housing first is a great strategy and um um it's it's certainly uh, something that we should I know we're interested, I'm interested in because of the, the proofs in the pudding. If we can give people that, then they're less likely to do the other things that land them in either the justice system or the health system. And anything that keeps people out of those high cost areas and allows them to uh, get an opportunity to positively advance are, are good. And so I think solving homelessness is a huge, is a huge uh, issue and a priority.
1: Did Brooks ever get close to something like that while you were there? Did you guys ever look at adopting something like that? Was, we, it a, was You know, we never
0: did, we've never did. we never had the chronic problems that, you know, I'm not sure why we haven't. I mean, we've, we've always had good kind of shelter spaces and a little, you know, longer term shelter spaces. Uh, but we've, we've never had to specifically deal with the chronic homelessness issue. Affordability though itself is definitely an, an issue. Um, And uh, we've always been really fortunate to have a good corporate partner and a good community partner in our on our housing association that's done good, good work there Um, and they continue to in fact I know they're working on a project right now so we've kind of, for whatever reason, been able to have to avoid the homelessness issue specifically. Um, You know, maybe because of the supports that already exist.
1: That question, by the way, uh, everyone was from Brian Angelic. He's a, a retired teacher from Medicine Hat, retired educator. He's superintendent um, of schools when he was last working. Um, hope he's uh, doing well out there, but great question. Uh, next questions plural uh come uh maybe plural depending on your answer the first one i guess uh uh come from jason scott who very specifically asks did brian Jean approach you to join the party slash board and what did he propose if the answer is yes
0: uh, yes he did and uh he, he did talk about that as a possibility uh, i was not on the board i was um i was a candidate for a leader um, so you'd have to talk to some board members about what he was actually proposing, but, um, you know, he expressed a frustration with what was going on and he, he at that time did think the Alberta party was a potential solution. Did it get close to a deal? Do you know? I don't know that because we, we didn't correspond past, a kind of just the preliminary discussion. And I, like I said, I was a candidate, not on the board. So sure, yeah, no, no problem
1: i the one of the, his questions here doesn't seem related to that is are you prepared for a snap election should one uh um, exist
0: in in fairness no, we're not uh, you know we who we is would, really right
1: that's yeah. the point of them right
0: yeah but so we would it would be tough we'd we'd have to retrench pretty hard uh in order to find some success there for sure that would
1: um and his last question was, when can we see a platform, and I guess, I mean, I've been on site, there is a platform there. Is it finalized? Um, no. When will we see that and and sort of the campaign officially kick off?
0: Yeah, so, you know, we'll, we're going to go through this uh, policy exercise uh, that's going to include members and non-members, so I hope uh, all of you that uh, get a chance to listen to this will take an opportunity to, to provide your input. And then we have a policy conference in October, where which is a member-driven conference piece. Yeah. And uh, you'll see, you, you know, you'll see pieces evolve over time. But I, I don't imagine, you know, uh, with the way politics are, with the reality of it, is is that, you know, it's a thirty-day, forty-day sprint. Um, that you won't see like the entire platform revealed until then. You'll see pieces of it come out as it goes. But I, I doubt that we would be putting it out just from a competitive advantage perspective um, until the right timing. And and I assume the right timing will be closer to the election.
1: Fair, Uh, next, there was a series of questions about this and I personally had never heard anything about it. So I apologize. But um, a lot of people were asking about ties to separatists and separatist oh, okay. ideas coming from that. So uh, Alberta against the UCP. So you can imagine a uh, great account, by the way, on Twitter, but trying to find the poll for backup day, right? But maybe a year ago, a poll came out of, about Alberta political parties and the percentage of members that wanted to separate. I don't recall the exact percentage but the alberta party had a high very high amount of members who claimed to want that again i don't know how true that is knowing that's not what the alberta party is about what is your plans on a clear uh to to be clear about that stance and uh this person feels that the message is usually muddied and unclear and was hoping you could sort of remedy
0: sure i I can make it real clear we're not a separatist party (laughs) i'm not interested in separation period um if that is in fact, your only goal, then the Alberta party isn't for you.
1: That's a very that's a very clear answer. And that's good. That ties up a few of those questions right away. Um, very important question, um, I think. And uh, you did touch on it quickly earlier in the show. Um, but I want to see just sorry, I'm going to see what the count. So why e.g., oh, Cali Lavoie, how does the Alberta party feel about safe consumption sites? And I, I I'm going to reword that. I know it's supervised consumption sites, and all a bit. Nothing is safe, but nonetheless, yep. much safer. Supervised consumption sites, and and what would your approach to the opioid crisis be?
0: Okay, so first on supervised consumption sites, I think they are part of the solution. Um, I again, I, you know, we 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 get bent on this is the only way down the road and in and and i'm not an expert again in addictions but what i've read and what i've listened to is that there needs to be multi-pronged approaches um uh, my good friend the mayor of lethbridge i think you know he he struggled a lot with what happened there because they didn't have any other supports they 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 kept people from dying of overdose but they created a lot of other issues because there weren't other supports i don't I don't think this is a one approach thing. I think we have to look at all of the tools in the toolbox to deny ourselves one of those tools because of the way we feel about our whether it's ideological or whether we're, you know, our party's driven not to do A, B or C. That's ridiculous. Again, this is a problem that people are suffering through and, um, and that it resonates for years afterwards, the families and, and the loved ones that are affected long after the tragedy happens. So, to deny ourselves any of the tools and the tools I think are supervised consumption site. They are treatment. Uh, they are wraparound services. They are safe drug supply. I think we have to look at all of that together and say, you know, if our goal is to keep people from dying and then once they're, once they, they aren't dying of overdose to, to be able to give them an opportunity to have a life and to be a productive member of a community. um, how do we do that? And you can't just take one sliver of it and say, this is what we're doing, because clearly it's not working. In, in 10 years, we've seen nothing but we've seen nothing but that number continue to rise in spite of what's happened with, you know, with the best of intentions. Um, but we have not put it together well enough to actually make those numbers go down. So I can safely say, I think that what we're doing isn't working and the Alberta Party would not throw any of those tools away. We try to use all of them to make sure we're getting to our goal, which is to keep people alive and to and to and to give them an ability to uh, to flourish once they once we save that part of it.
1: I couldn't agree more in the sense of we need a multi pronged approach to uh, uh, addiction and harm reduction. My only concern uh, is that a lot of politicians tend to say that as a means to not do shit. Whereas as long as the multi pronged approach theory means my plan is to implement prongs. Yeah, then that's, well, that's, that's, that's one thing because um, I think we like you're right, we need all of it, but we need all of it.
0: Yeah. No, and Scott, I think here's the other issue is that, um, you know, and, and I, I, my leadership style is like this. So if, if, if I'm the premier tomorrow, we're addressing opioid crisis and I'm, I'm in medicine hat and people are saying, well, we, you know, we've, we've got this problem and I'm going to say to you, well, you know what? I'm going to empower people to fix it. People who know that I, I'm not an, I'm not an addiction specialist. I, you wouldn't want me down Meteor there Jason trying to Luan. figure out, right? but our will is is that we are going to fix it that the the provincial government is is our goal is to save people's lives first and so i'm going to let those tools go and let the people that know what they're doing do that job and yes we are going to struggle and there are going to be people who are going to feel um somehow inconvenienced by this but honestly i say to you are is it is it any different than when an ambulance comes screaming down your road or a fire truck when there's a fire down your block. Yes, that is an inconvenience. It is horrible if you've just got off shift work and have to listen to that. But at the end of the day, if they save somebody, how much have you given? And, I, and I'm and i challenging people, uh, politicians in particular, to have that approach. Um, we have to put up with this, the, the political follow of some of the decisions we make. But I'll tell you what, if we make that opioid overdose number go down um, That's while we're in government, then everything is worth it
1: saving life like that's I mean to me that's I've never been a politician and I understand that it changes a person but certainly like to me that's all a person should ever want to hang their hat on is I did the right goddamn thing when it mattered and it didn't I didn't try to win votes so I, I, I do like the sound of that I, especially uh, we had like for example we had a uh, an owner of a I'll just say it a Tim Hortons here that was uh, a, a proposed supervised consumption site was going to be close-ish okay and his excuse for why that was bullshit and couldn't happen was that he already has uh drug addicts doing drugs in the bathroom of his tim hortons and i was like yeah exactly so wouldn't them not being there and being next door be a step up but anyways I want to get off the topic of that but we could do a whole thing about that and uh you did mention you you mentioned the word safe supply so I hope that's something that the Alberta party would at least uh, look into because dangerous drugs kill um there's one way around that and we all know people are going to do the drugs anyways um This is a bit of a broad one, and we have talked about this pretty extensively, but I want to make sure I get through all of these. So um, aside from vague hand-waving about fiscal conservatism, what does that really mean to you and who gets left behind? uh, And is there a way to do it where no one gets left behind? I guess I would add to that.
0: Well, you know, I think we talked about it pretty clearly. Uh, I think people uh, need to be told what it costs for the level of service that they're getting. And if you're willing to pay for that, then you get to keep it. I mean, it's a pretty simple conversation. Um, you don't know, though, we don't know in Alberta what it costs to get what we get. We really don't because we rely so much on other pieces of revenue. So that's, that's the promise I make is that uh, I, I won't promise you that, uh, you know, we can do this tomorrow. I will promise you that the conversation we had and that I will present to Albertans the opportunity to say, hey, we have to pay more. Or we have to get less, you know, there, there's no way around it. Um, but, but that's the conversation I would have, I, I'm not going to make you, you know, the, the world isn't rose colored when it comes to money. I wish I wish it was. Um, but we've been led to believe that in Alberta for the last 20, 30, 40 years that, you know, we just have to wait for the next one. And, and the money will come pouring in and the flow will stop will be good again. And
1: I mean, I'll take that even off the hot. Like, you know, I don't ask for much from politicians these days. So even one that admits that you can't have everything is uh, good enough for me because there's so many that are willing to promise the world when there's literally no possible way to make that happen. So uh, credit where credit's due on that. Um, Curriculum. Uh, Darcy wants to know, will the Alberta party flat out reverse the curriculum changes the UCP is making and listen to the 97% of school boards refusing to pilot it
0: yes (laughs) i love that clarity good for you (laughs) it's it's got to be done um you know uh we we've got to do curriculum development better uh, but the way that this has happened has been terrible and uh it's it's been disrespectful to teachers uh and 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 more more ominous about it is what it could do to students um in the, in the future. So it has to be stopped and, and we have to uh, get back to where we were and go from there for sure.
1: Would, would you go back to the old curriculum, take on what the, I don't want to say, I don't want to I hate it, calling it the NDP curriculum because it was just developed. Well, uh, started before they even got into power, but nonetheless, were, would you take on what was supposed to be implemented? Would you go back to the old one or would you guys do a whole new one?
0: You know, I, I that I don't know, Scott. I, I think we'd have to sit down with teachers and and school boards and say, hey, what's what's the easiest way to go? I I'm uh, I, I'm not sure what that would be, but whatever the starting point would be would come from their recommendation as to what's the easiest to move from, and then.
1: Well, that's literally the opposite of how our current government approaches yeah. it. So I'm sure people would uh, appreciate that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um here's uh here's one from sean beaton uh when mr Morishita was mayor of brooks we often talked about how to make brooks one of the safest most inclusive communities in alberta if elected how would the alberta party achieve that goal for the province uh,
0: that's a good question um i i think it's it's about creating that culture of inclusivity it's it's about not discounting anyone out of the process and you know what in, in the development curriculum we just talked about in the curriculum development there's a good example where people feel disenfranchised from the opportunity that presents itself because change is an opportunity for Alberta uh, improvement in this or changes in that those are those are opportunities for it but when you exclude people from the from those um, First of all, you you isolate them from the process and likely you're not gonna get the result you want. So first of all, you have to have the people that are affected to be part of the process. You have to invite them in uh, to think about how that works, what can work for them. The secondly is is that you, I think we have to take a better approach to immigration. I think we have to look at uh, immigration supports at a provincial level uh, to supplement what the federal government does. Again, Alberta has unique needs. Alberta's communities have unique needs. And we have to be able to support those specifically. And again, what are our priorities? How do we prioritize? How do we prioritize English as a second language in school? We want, we want workers. We want, the, uh, we want the ability to be able to produce goods and services. Um, so we, we, we recruit. Um, we, we, we allow that to happen. Yet we don't do a lot to make them productive going forward. So we got to uh, look at those things and put again the whole picture of it can't just say one and not deal with the fallout or the conditions of the other i've seen it lots happen where we have um that very same thing happen where you get all these people to come in and help um get get to get us over the hump labor wise um, but the kids are struggling the adult children are struggling whatever those are we've got to put those pieces in the bucket and make sure that we're addressing them um
1: now i won't read I won't read the exact wording of this question because it's kind of given away their opinion and it's a little leading, but I'll give you the premise here uh, Brent woods essentially would like to know what what would you have done um, in the face of the coots blockade.
0: Uh, it's it's about rule of law I I I, uh, I have no problem with people protesting and I, I encourage them to to make their views known, however. When you block a highway, then it's no different than if I park in the wrong place in the City of Medicine Hat. I get a ticket, and if I leave it there long enough, someone picks it up and tows it away. Um, we, it's how it should have been handled, in my mind. i uh, And maybe I, because of where I am, it's a simplistic view. But uh, I, <laughs> I don't think I have a vote to protect when they're yeah. breaking the law. Sure. Sorry. Yeah, um, we, we wouldn't stand idly by while anything else was happening illegal. And uh, we just wouldn't, because, you know, So you wouldn't
1: sit back while your caucus rode horseback to go hang out with them?
0: No, no, I would not. That would <laughs> not. Uh, I'm not a big party discipline person in terms of do it, but I would there's a line my party would be making sure they weren't breaking the law that's for sure
1: <laughs> there's a I think we can all agree that uh under anything any type of freedom to do what you please there should be a line right, right. um Derek Connick uh, asks a really great great question about post secondary education education essentially just sort of how you go about that I did read on the plan today uh in nice big bold letters and I thought it was great and I was going to ask about that myself. Was uh, all cuts would be restored um so what are your thoughts uh broadly for derek and then maybe ask her specifically for me what does that mean by undoing cuts
0: okay so for, first of all uh yeah you know I, I post-secondary institutions they they need a lot of reform too don't get me wrong but i mean but penalizing them uh, monetarily certainly doesn't serve a purpose Are again, what is the? Why do we have post-secondary institutions? My thinking is, at least that's my view, is that it's to make sure that um, Alberta has the opportunity to train the best and brightest, so that the best and the brightest remain here and build opportunity in communities right here in Alberta. And when they cease to be able to do that for whatever reason, and uh, certainly they've been a lot of some of them have been under attack financially here in the last several years. Uh, that we have to restore that. So take off the financial pressure. That being said, um, there, the, the, internally, there's a lot of things too. Some of the things that I think are, are, are transferability is a huge issue in Alberta. We have uh, 22 publicly funded institutions with my understanding is 65,000 transfer agreements, which makes it impossible, not impossible, but very onerous for students to be able to move from one institution to the other. Again, the goal of the institutions is to provide the best educational opportunity for a student, um, not to have 6,001 students this year and 6,050 next year. So we have to reform that. And one of the ways I think you could reform it, it's not part of our policy yet, but certainly something I think we should think about is the people that govern the universities aren't the right people, Uh, not not in terms of the right persons, but they're the wrong demographic. Uh, Yep. The Board of Governors should be made up of students. Uh, at least half of them should be students. Um, people that have a vested interest in what the future of the institution looks like. And um, I would certainly be, uh, when we're talking about post-secondary uh, policy going forward, that's certainly something I'm going to advocate to be part of the Alberta Party is for students to be part of the governance of those institutions. It needs to be, it needs to happen.
1: Now, broadly speaking, because I'm obviously I were giving you the the uh, you know, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here. We're giving you some benefit of doubt here that you guys haven't finalized everything, but it's very clear uh, that the UCP's mindset when it comes to post-secondary education is to churn out workers. Let's let's train people for jobs, and if you do that, you can have some funding. If you're not doing that, be damned. Can you just talk about what your thoughts on that approach are? And would you change that approach? And how would you change that approach if you did? If you were?
0: So, so again, it shouldn't be the single-minded approach. Like, um, you know, the, the day you graduate shouldn't be the day you get a, a well-paying job. That shouldn't be the output. Um, there, There's all kinds of reasons to have universities, post-secondary institutions for research and um, consideration of a lot of bigger questions and, and to bring those Big ideas back into Alberta's future so uh, you know a a single-mindedness again on the purpose isn't isn't what we're we're, we're trying to do four and a half million people live in Alberta four and a half million individual um, circumstances four and a half million different geographical locations more or less and again to impose a single solution on every single one of them that's going to post-secondary Seems ludicrous to me. I I realize that the goal of uh, of any investment we make, any public we invest, we make should be a should be not so much that that student gets a job, but provides public benefit to the people of Alberta for the purpose of, for the for the, the cost of that investment. And so I don't think single mindedness or one solution fits all. You know, if if we were to say people that do research in AI that have been doing it for years or or genomics or uh, engineering or whatever it's been going on to say that um, Alberta hasn't benefited from that from that ability we, we know we have so again we have to have a broader view and and kind of hold to our heart and soul what the purpose of post-secondary is actually supposed to be and uh, that would be our approach again uniqueness and building communities is the primary job of i think government to to help uh perpetuate and uh single-minded approach to post-secondary won't help that
1: my final lister question here uh comes from someone who goes by exhausted alberta teacher uh, and they did ask about curriculum but we've talked about that so uh, um, there but there are other questions they asked actually had to do with uh doctors and rural communities. Okay. And what would the Alberta party do for, uh, what's your plan for attracting and retaining doctors? Um, I'm sure it's not gonna be the one that is currently in place.
0: No. So there's <laughs> two things, uh, two things there. So uh, Richard Starkey, uh, who was a, a MLA in the Lloyd Minster, he wrote a, a, a report in 2016 on, on rural healthcare, and it's really worth a, a, a look. Um, 54 recommendations, and uh, none of them implemented tellingly so and uh, it really talks about decentralizing talks about how communities have to be in charge of their health care. And in fact, in, in part of this doctor recruitment piece, again, we try to do everything the same. HHS itself is built to have one process for everything doesn't work. I'm sorry. Uh, when we deal with people, we have to deal with all of those nuances around people. And uh, if you only read the lines that you're given, uh, you're going to lose a lot more doctors than you gain. So there's two things there that I saw locally in my time as mayor. One is the ability to block fund healthcare and to allow doctors and the communities set their priorities healthcare-wise so that they're in an environment that they want to work in. So they're not frustrated by the system, they're empowered by it. So that's one, it's how you keep them. And then secondly, in terms of recruiting recruiting doctors, decentralize that as well. Our best success recruiting doctors in all the time that I've been in Brooks has been specifically at the the work of the local clinics and how they've been able to do that. Even though they're uh, under-resourced and it's a bonus, but they realize the value it brings to their practice and to the healthcare of their patients. Um, so they know, and so they should be empowered to do it. I know municipalities usually are the ones that help with incentives for transitional housing or money to get started because even though doctors do make a good living once they get here and then they get established, they they come with not a lot. <laughs> I know that from experience having witnessed it. So again, empowering these communities to do it on their own, I think they would do a fine job. Some There are some things the provincial government needs to get out of the weeds on, and uh, this is one of them.
1: Now, my last question for you today, and believe me, it's not my last one. I could ask a bazillion, but uh, you've been unbelievably generous to give us uh, nearly two hours of your time on a Saturday. Um, I'm sure that our listeners have learned a ton about the Alberta Party today. Um, so I guess my last question would be, and I... It seems silly to ask you to give me a seat count or something like this because i mean i'm sure you're hoping to win yours and maybe some more but what is the what's a reasonable realistic overall goal for the alberta party over the next year uh like uh, we talked to each other a year from today the elections ex happened i guess it won't have happened by now but close yeah um where do you want to be what do you want to see
0: you know, I, I, I mean, I would obviously, I'd love to be government. And it's interesting, the precedent of this, right? You know, when, when the NDP took over in 2015, the election before, they had about 50,000 less votes than we did in 2019. So so we're we're, we're we're working hard to do that. But we need a presence in the legislature. I think we need the influence of the Alberta Party to be on the governance of Alberta. So, you know, we, we, have, we I will, would hope at this time... Uh, after election there's a presence in the legislature of a group of like-minded MLAs that are trying to do what's best for their communities and it might be uh, worthwhile to point out to you just before we go Scott too is that the MLAs that we're we're recruiting they they are smart and uh, they know their community really well they're not afraid to speak for it Uh, we the Alberta party doesn't believe in in um, you know whipped votes uh, and I know on our web page it says in confidence only, on confidence motions only, we would whip it. But you know what, If I, I'll, I'll, I'll be clear, and, and you can take this to the bank too, is that if I come to, a, if, I, come to, if, if I, I was fortunate enough to be the Premier of the province and I came with a budget that I had to whip my own caucus to vote for, maybe that's a good sign that the budget isn't very good. And uh, I would hope that we'd have strong enough MLAs that would tell us that. And, That's another big difference for us. I want the Alberta party to be the vehicle for people to bring their communities into the governance process and not to be told how to message it out. Um, Even though we didn't do very well in in Fort McMurray, we had a great candidate that just exemplified what we're looking for in a a candidate, which is committed, not um, make sure they represent their community well, and that the Alberta party is a vehicle for them to do that not uh, a a personal uh, kind of mouthpiece for the Alberta party. So I think that's a huge difference for us too. And I think you'd see us get a lot more productive if that was the case.
1: Was there anything worth, holding on to as far as that Fort McMurray by-election is concerned as far like you guys probably didn't do as well as you thought and, and and none of the sort of fringe parties I hate I'm sorry to use that word right now but that's I guess what they would use um did didn't do very well but it was a different circumstance I yep. think that election sort of had its own uh for obvious reasons with Brian Jean and his plans to go after Kenny and these kinds of things was there anything of value in that election as far as where you guys are at
0: um, you know, in, in terms of value, yeah, you know, I, I think it when we, you know, it, it was an operation a, an elections an operation, it's an activity and I think we learned a lot from what we did and, and weren't able to do so you know I think we get better from that. Um, and like I said, the, the biggest thing is we met some people that are interested in the party that are committed to it and, uh, and, and none, none less than, than our candidate Michelle Lance who's actually from Medicine Hat um so born and raised in medicine hat so um, shout out shout out yeah yep. shout out for sure she's she's just yeah yeah uh, you know so I, th- I think the possibilities are there and you're right the dynamics are weird everybody was voting against Jason Kenny, and uh, I think people thought that by voting for Brian Jean they got rid of him in one way shape or form and as we can see that is not the case
1: not so far <laughs> not so far Well, listen, Mr. Morishita, I could not be more thankful, honestly, for the amount of time you've given us this morning, how candid you are, how willing you are to answer questions without uh, a whole lot of politician beating around the bush. uh, And I appreciate that. It's a breath of fresh air. Um, I don't know how you guys are going to do personally. I, I don't know what to expect, but I would love to, I think it would be good for Alberta to see a third party get some seats um, and 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 have you in that legislature, um, one way or the other, with a group uh, being able to debate both sides of that fence right now, because you're right, it's, it's a little bit of... It's a little crazy right now, and I had a little bit of uh, balance that wouldn't wouldn't hurt. So I appreciate, honestly, you giving me
0: time this morning. No, thanks, Scott. I appreciate the questions, and uh, I always enjoy a good conversation.
1: Well, I've always found you to be a stand-up guy, and uh, you've given me nothing to uh, say otherwise this morning. So good luck to you. I I I mean that. And uh, you're unfortunately, I'm a Cypress Medicine Hat resident, so I can't even I can't even promise you my vote. But my sister's Brooks Medicine Hat, so maybe she'll listen to this. There you go. And go from there. Anyways, uh, folks, it's the time on the show where we thank those of our patrons who go way above and beyond anything we could ever hope for. To Farah Chaudhry, to Chris Durl, to the Big Red Machine, to Darius bear guard dave Miller, and nicola dinicola you guys are everything to us we could not do the show without you to our other patrons and our listeners thank you guys for being here today we really hope you enjoyed uh this uh conversation and uh do go to the albertaparty.ca website and uh, check out their platform and pay attention um we've got a big election coming up and it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a a two-party race now does it Anyways. uh Thank you guys for stopping by and we will see you next week. Take care.